0: Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm Jonathan Carl, Chief White House Correspondent for ABC News. And I'm Rick Klein, Political Director at
1: ABC
2: News.
0: Matthew Dowd, Political Analyst, ABC News. Come on, you're more than the Political Analyst, Matthew. Come on. (laughs) This is our guru. This is the person that we look to, not only for political advice, but for life advice. Uh, Great to have you with us, Matt.
3: Always good to be here.
0: We have... Donald Trump uh, on the program here in a little bit, an interview uh, that I conducted with him in upstate New York. And then we have live interview with Ed Brookover, uh, his uh, man that will be running the Washington, D.C. office, who's going to talk to us just at, after he comes out of a meeting uh, with Republicans on Capitol Hill. And then on the other side of this Republican uh, race, we're going to be talking to uh, Mr. New York, George Pataki, the former governor. Uh, who has been uh, one of Trump's harshest critics? So we've got a we've got a packed show. You know, this has been such a such a week here. And I, I know it seems like we have to say that every week, but what do we make? I want to start with these changes in the uh, in, in the Trump campaign. I was stunned actually to see Rick Wiley, Scott Walker's campaign manager, now moving over to the Trump campaign uh, as the political director, and and uh, you know th- th- this is. Fascinating because not only was he Scott Walker's campaign manager who just put the knife in Trump in the state of Wisconsin, but he is also the former political director of the RNC. Matt, what, what are we to make of this? Well, I think it's,
3: it's, I'm going to agree with you. I think it's fascinating. Uh, I make a couple of things of it. First, having watched this stuff happen in politics, these people, men and women that have been involved in politics, have a hard time not staying in the game no matter what. And I think when you sit on waivers for a long period of time and somebody picks you up, you're happy to be playing again. And I think that's part of it. The other part of it is I think there's beginning to be a recognition that there is a very good chance that Donald Trump is going to be the GOP nominee by the establishment and to then figure out how do you put him in a position to win a general election. So I think it's both things going on.
0: But, but can we look at it from the from the other side? That's why Rick Wiley would end up coming on board. but. This move from Trump, Trump has reached out, hired Wiley at precisely the time that he has gone to war with the RNC. I mean, he is, you know, he's gone back and forth throughout this campaign, critical of the Republican establishment, Republican leaders. But over the past week, he has explicitly accused not just Republicans generally and his opponents, but the RNC of conspiring to tank his campaign by baking the rules in such a way that they favor Ted Cruz?
3: Well, I think Trump's finally figured out, it's taken him a while, he's finally figured out that he needs to have a more professional campaign operation and a more professional way to search and find delegates and do what he needs to do. It took him a while to get there. but I think he's finally got there. And I think that's one. And I think the other part is, is I think there's been a diminishment in the gatekeeper, which is Corey Lewandowski in the diminishment of his power in the course of this. And I think Trump has recognized that maybe all that power residing in that one person hasn't been good at the end of this campaign. And so I think power is now getting distributed more so than it was at the beginning
1: of this campaign. And here's the thing. Rick Wiley does not look like the establishment. If you're you're wondering what it looks like, Google him. You'll see what I mean. But he is the establishment. (laughs) He is the establishment. He ran the establishment candidates campaign, the guy that was the— the savior of the Republican Party last year in Scott Walker. He was an RNC political director. He is the kind of person you bring in if you're getting serious. And and Trump's working on two different tracks here. He's working on the grievance track, which has worked so well for him that the rules are fixed and they're trying to undo me and they're, they're, they're trying to tank me and the RNC is out to get me. But he's also starting to work the inside game. He's starting to recognize, it's very late to be re- reading the rule book for the first time, but he's recognizing that there are rules. You need these delegates. You need them to be on your side. And he's starting to very, very late in the process with Ted Cruz has
0: been stealing his lunch money all across the playground. He is now realizing you got to lock these people down. I was just out with him earlier this week in New York, and you still see Corey Lewandowski uh, traveling uh, with with Trump, still clearly playing, uh, you know, has his ear, but you get the sense that that he was never really uh, a campaign manager in the way that we traditionally think of campaign managers, or really a strategic advisor to Trump. This was really Trump was the campaign manager. Trump was the communications director. Trump uh, was was handling uh, a strategy on on you know on the states. Uh, now you have these, you know, people that look very traditional coming in, and I and I wonder how that's going to work because Trump ultimately. Controls everything, or has in that campaign. Well, I
3: think, and and you know, we, John and Rick, that that Paul Manafort, I guess, had a, a come to Jesus meeting uh, last week with Trump, and I think he put it to him like, unless I get some of the power, it sounds like I get some of the power in this and can make decisions and can deal directly with you, then I'm out of here. It sounds like that was the case, and so maybe Trump, maybe Donald Trump, has figured out that doing everything, seat of the pants, everything by gut, everything on his own. It had brought him to a certain point, but can't get him over the finish line. And I agree completely with you about Corey. That's why I called him a gatekeeper. He really was not a functionary campaign manager or campaign strategist. That was, as you say, was Donald Trump. He was much more of like the lead advance director or the guy that was sort of keeping people from bothering the candidate in the course of this. You never had campaign managers in the past corral press and do the things that Corey has done. So I think at this point in time, it's, it's late But Donald Trump has finally figured out he needs a real professional
1: campaign organization. And at the same time, you know, John, I think a little bit undercovered right now. Donald Trump's about to go on a winning streak. I mean, if he if he if he, if he romps in New York, hits more than fifty percent, he's going to walk away with a lion's share of the delegates in the, in the biggest state remaining, save California. At the end of the process, he's got northeastern states, Maryland, and Pennsylvania, and Connecticut, and Delaware coming on deck. We've talked a lot about Cruz and and what he's been able to accomplish with momentum, but geography favors Donald Trump. Trump right now. And we're going to start talking about that March to 1237. Every delegate is going to matter. So we're seeing things get a lot more complex on behalf of the Trump operation. They're adding new layers. They're adding, adding new operations. Uh, and yet you still have this candidate who's out there saying, hey, they're just trying to steal it from us. They're trying to steal it from me. He's trying to steal it from, from us as, as the people. So I, I just think that we're seeing
0: kind of a maturation of the Trump campaign, if not the candidate himself. Well, with this series of states coming up, New York, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, Connecticut... You, you could see a situation where uh, Ted Cruz does not have a win until next month, and in fact, in many of these states, could come in third behind not just Trump, but also John Kasich. But I want to go, and, 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 and this brings me to the interview that we just did with Trump and and to set the stage a little bit. uh, This was backstage at a big rally he had at an airport hangar in Rome, New York, right outside of Utica. Uh, You know, thousands of people waiting, listening to that great Trump soundtrack in the adjacent hangar. And we were summoned... Um, kind of last minute, because uh, we, we'd been asking for the interview. We finally got word we would get it. Ran backstage, did this interview with Trump right before uh, he went over uh, to take the stage. Here it is. So, Mr. Trump, I got to ask you about something you said uh, last night about Hillary Clinton. You said her whole life has been one big, fat, beautiful lie. What did you mean by that? Well, if you fat- look
4: at Whitewater, if you look at all of the different things she's gone through, if you look at her cattle deals, where she did better than any cattle dealer in a long time maybe ever proportionately you look at so much of what's going on and now you look at the email
0: situation her life is a big lie and people know it did you think that back when you I mean you were you posting photos with her you had her I get along oh, with I,
4: everybody when I was a businessman I got along with everybody John I was very proud of the fact I could get along with anybody and you'll see that politically too after this is all over with I will get along with everybody as a politician as a president perhaps I will unify the party I'll even bring in the Democrats, and we'll actually have good relationships for the first time in many, many decades between Democrats and Republicans.
0: But what does that race look like between you and her?
4: Well, I think it's it's going to be, uh, I looked at some story, and they had a poll, and I think it's going to be probably the highest voter turnout in the history of elections, Mm -hmm. United States elections, which is a good thing, not a bad thing, because as you know, voter turnout is very low in this country, Mm -hmm. historically. And they say it'll be the highest voter turnout in history. And I believe that'll be true. Just like the debates on the Republican side were the highest rated they've ever had by many, by tens of millions of people. Uh, the And the, by the way, the Democratic debates, the Democrat debates don't do very well. I think it'll be the highest voter turnout in the history of elections in this country.
0: Now, you've had some very tough words for the Republican Party, saying this process is corrupt, it's crooked. I don't know if you saw what Chairman Priebus uh, said. He said that these rules Uh, We're set last year. There's nothing mysterious, nothing new. It's
4: totally mysterious. In fact, the people that are running it don't even know about it. And then they put out all sorts of tweets, and then they withdraw the tweets. No, it's a rigged system. But the good news is, I have so many voters, and so many, I'm so many millions of votes ahead of Cruz. You know, many millions, as you see. Yeah. And I'm also. over 200 tweets. In fact, we just won Missouri today. Mm -hmm. So we're over 200, I guess, uh, delegates above him also. So I think we're doing very well. But despite that, it's a rigged system. It's a very unfair system. And it's not democracy. I mean, it's supposed to be the votes you get. When I win Louisiana and I don't get as many delegates as Cruz, it's ridiculous. So it's not the way it's supposed to work. When you get the votes, you should win. It's not like when you get the votes and then you give trips to people and you get delegates. Not the way it's supposed to be. But despite that, I'm winning by a lot.
0: But there are rules. Were you unprepared you and your team for this? I mean, you're not a professional politician. You're no, are just I'm not, not no, ready not. for this process? You no, know, I was ready for a
4: democratic race, meaning, you know, democracy. And uh, this is not democracy. This is not democracy at its finest, I can tell you. Because I'm leading by millions of votes. And I'm also leading in every category. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, well, it's not like we're babies we're leading in every single category, and I guess uh, based on the results of what I'm seeing in polls in New York, we're leading by tremendous numbers, but it should be by the votes, and it shouldn't be some arcane system that even the people that devised the system don't understand how to explain it, and that's happening. They have a system that they can't even explain.
0: And finally, I see you're talking about a vice president. If you're starting to think about that. Would you really consider somebody like Marco Rubio or Scott Walker after well, I, all I, you went you know you know those guys? I,
4: I knocked them out. I mean, you mean that they went through with me? Yeah, right. Exactly. So what I didn't mean. go through well, with Well, all them, they, they said
0: about through. you, all you said about them. Like, could I you beat them,
4: me? and it was rough. It was a you know not a, a nice situation. It was a rough situation, but I won. And I, I like Scott Walker. I've always liked him, but I beat him, and I can understand. I never asked for his endorsement or anything. Yeah. And Marco, I've always liked him. Then he became Don Rickles with me, and that didn't work.
0: You can see him uh, as your
4: vice president, maybe? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. You asked me whether or not yeah. I liked him. I do like him. But well, um, could you consider I like them? a lot of people. I like a lot of people that were on that stage. Don't forget, we started off really with 18 people. Mm-hmm. I used to say 17, but the truth was we had 18 people. Mm-hmm. So we started with 18, and now we're down to myself and two leftovers, and we'll see what happens. Okay.
0: Thank you. And you'll let us know when you're going to do that VP, right? And we'll let you know. Okay. Okay? All, All right. Thank you. Thank, you. thank you, Appreciate it. As a matter of fact, I, I think he's going to let us know right here on the Powerhouse Politics podcast. Oh, you booked that? That's yeah, great. that's that's, that's great. basically where we're going to do the, uh, the 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 Donald Trump VP announcement. By the way, um, John,
1: I love I love the the Don Rickles reference. I mean, there is like almost <laughs> nothing more Trump than hey, he went all Don Rickles on me. It's just great. I love it. Yeah,
0: yeah, that is that is absolutely fantastic. Uh, but but I you know I got to ask you, um, and I'll start with you on, on, on this, Rick. Uh, when he says that this is the rules are totally mysterious, I mean, they, they, they sure are. I guess, arcane and Byzantine, I I, I suppose. But, you know, a candidate for president, especially a front-running candidate, should know these rules. These rules have been in place for a long time. The fact that Colorado holds a convention instead of a caucus or a primary is not a new thing. Um, I mean, doesn't Trump really have himself to blame? Is this really a crooked and rigged system? Or is this a system that if he had been running a professional campaign that, that he would have he would have better understood and, and, and better prepared for. Look, the rules are complex. They're really hard to understand. But running for president's hard. And like
1: you know, we know the rules because we've researched the rules. You can Google the rules. They're out there. They haven't been adjusted to try to tank Donald Trump. Ted Cruz somehow a freshman senator has put together an operation that's taking advantage of the rules. So to me, John, this is the seventh inning and he's he's starting to lose, and all of a sudden the umpires called the infield fly rule, and he never heard of it before, and he wants the rule changed. So I, I don't have much sympathy for a candidate who this deep into a, a a campaign is complaining about the rules. The rules are the rules. Is it undemocratic? Yeah, sure, but it's a private pri- uh, 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 nominating system. Is it? Does it make intuitive sense? No, but you can learn it, and you have to learn it if you're going to run a campaign. I think he's recognizing that, but I think to to, to pretend as if. The insiders are trying to steal it from me. That is not, I think, an accurate reading of it. You're seeing the RNC begin to push back on that notion, I think, rightfully.
0: Matthew?
3: Well, I, here, I'll, I'll agree in most part with, with Rick, but I actually agree with Donald Trump on this to a degree, which is, yes, he has his own—he's his own—he could fault himself in this. He didn't put together a real operation. He didn't seem to understand how the process worked. He didn't do all of that. So in the end, he has to be accountable if he doesn't make the majority of the delegates in this. Also, the process is rigged. The process was created from the very beginning, and all of the changes along the way were done so it did rig it. It was not a democratic process. It wasn't created so that the voters had all the power in the process and they could decide who the nominees of the major parties were. The idea that we have delegates going to conventions is a rigging of a process so that a certain outcome, I'm not saying it was designed to hurt Donald Trump or help somebody else, But it's is—it's all the rules can be understood, all the rules can be looked out there, and even with all the rules, the rules are in place because they wanted a rigging of the process so voters ultimately didn't have the power in the process.
1: But, but rigging the process suggests that they're trying to to, to screw one particular candidate. that takes someone out of the mix here, and that's not what's happening, Matthew. I mean, these, the, the rules are harder for an outsider to navigate, but again, Ted Cruz is new to this system, too, and yet he had spent a lot of time trying to understand that. You know, he pulled off the campaign trail to try to court people in Colorado along the way, leading up to the moment where the delegates are chosen. I mean, by the same token, the electoral college is rigged, right? It's not necessarily I, I, wait, the popular I,
3: vote. I— I actually agree. The Electoral College is a constitution is in our Constitution, and it is a rigging of a process so that it is not really the popular vote that gets to decide the election. It was a compromise, as we all know. It was a compromise that was done to help smaller states, to give more power to smaller states, even though they didn't have the process. I agree with you. I'm not saying that the process was designed to rig, to be rigged and help one certain candidate another. It was designed so that if an outsider came in that the party didn't want... The process is in place so that it would take the power away from some outsider who got a lot of popular vote and give it to delegates at a convention. I think part of the problem in here, this is the first time we are headed to a convention like this where the voters actually have been involved. And I think most of the voters in America are looking at this and they're saying to themselves, what? I voted in a state, and it doesn't seem to matter in the course of this, and these delegates get chosen, and I have no idea why. I think that's what Donald Trump is speaking to, which is most of the voters out there have no idea that this was the process.
0: Well, and in fact, this whole system hasn't been put to a stress test uh, in our lifetimes. I mean, to to a degree, 76, but that was one ballot. But we haven't had a full-blown multi-ballot you know, uh, open convention, contested convention uh, since 1948. Uh, This is, those people, the the process of picking those people, which has been this roughly the same for a long time, hasn't mattered because all they've been are the people with the funny hats and the, uh, and and, and a lot of bling and buttons and cheering, uh, you know, from the floor of the convention. They've been a backdrop to a very slickly produced uh, and choreographed television show. And now they're actually in a position where they may be responsible for not just being a backdrop, but for actually choosing the nominee. Um, And we just haven't... (laughs) It hasn't been that way. I mean, we've never covered one of these. We've talked about it for a long time, but we've never actually covered one of these things.
3: And, and and John, it hasn't been that way ever in the history of the United States. This will be the first time if it happens, where we had a modern media environment, right, with social media and coverage and people, voters actually being involved in the process. So we've never had an a, a open convention in a
0: modern media environment. So Twitter wasn't around at the 48 convention? I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> um, anyway, fascinating stuff. We, Matthew, thank you very much for joining us, and I, I uh, we, we will talk to you again next week we are going to turn right now to Ed Brookover uh, with the Trump campaign and and you uh, of course uh, formerly with the Ben Carson campaign and are now going to be uh, running mr. Trump's office here in Washington and as I understand it you have just left a meeting uh, on Capitol Hill with uh, with the Republicans is that correct
5: correct so the tell members, us uh, the members of Congress who the have- we support Mr. Trump,
0: so so tell us it was, about it. How, how many how many members were there, and, and uh, what what happened at the meeting?
5: We uh, we this was the first of a of what will become regular meetings with uh, with supporters of Mr. Trump and those who are interested in learning more about uh, about Mr. Trump and what he will do to uh, uh, to change America. That uh, and it was chaired by uh, our House leadership chairman Duncan Hunter and Chris Collins, uh, and we had uh, more than a handful of our already. Uh, uh, public supporters there to start this process today of them communicating to the campaign uh, what it is they need to uh, garner more support and us asking them to begin to reach out to their members and let's, uh, let's begin to pivot from uh, from a primary-only process that the Trump campaign has been in to one that's going to look forward to becoming the party's nominee and to uh, beating Hillary Clinton this fall.
0: So what, what are your asks of these members? You have members of Congress. Uh, they obviously have influence in their states, will have influence within their state delegations at the convention. What do you need from your, uh, from your supporters on Capitol Hill?
5: Uh, we want them to continue to be uh, addressing spokesmen on behalf of Mr. Trump and his campaign, as many of them have been already, in terms of both uh, their local media and national media. We want them to reach out to their fellow members they know well and to explain to them uh, why it is that they're supporting Mr. Trump and why their fellow members should get on board, and then finally we want their input as to uh, as the campaign continues to grow and continues to outline uh, uh, different policies and programs as to what they think is important and and what it is needs to be done to change America.
1: Ed, we hear from Mr. Trump all the time on the campaign trail how the establishment is out to get him, the rules are rigged, you know they, they're so scared of him. So then you have these members of Congress. Is the intent? I mean, can Mr. Trump, can Donald Trump? Appeal to the establishment. Can the establishment line up behind him? Is that part of the goal here?
5: I think that uh, what we want to do is continue to uh, outline what Mr. Trump's uh, goals are to do as president. And I think as more and more members of, uh, of our party, the uh, party leadership or members of Congress, learn about uh, Mr. Trump's ideas, that they'll say, "Okay, we uh, we now understand. We think we can work together, but we do have to make some changes in the way things have been done if we're going to uh, if we are going to." Uh, uh, make America great again. To,
1: to coin a phrase, uh, I think it's been coined already. But it, looking forward to the convention, I'd imagine these will be some of your foot soldiers uh, in, in the situation where a contested convention is there. What kind of what kind of manpower are you looking at? What kind of plan are you looking at for Cleveland? How many folks do you plan on having there? What are they going to be doing? Uh, uh,
5: well, first of all, we will expect to have the first ballot victory. Backup and, plan. Uh, start... Give us the
1: backup plan then.
5: Our, our initial plans are, are for our first ballot victory, and we'll be talking about the platform and uh, and, uh, and and putting the party together. And uh, after that, uh, uh, we wouldn't be professionals uh, if we weren't serving and would not be serving Mr. Trump uh, well if we uh, didn't uh, make uh, alternative plans. And we're in the process of doing that right now. So did, can, you, can you
0: help me understand the? the changes that we're seeing within the the structure of the Trump campaign itself. I mean, you've been brought in, uh, obviously Paul Manafort's been brought in, Rick Wiley has just been hired. Uh, What, what, who's, who's running the campaign right now? I mean, obviously Trump's the man in charge, but, but who's, who's effectively, uh, acting as the campaign manager day-to-day operations?
5: I think it's Corey and Paul working hand in hand right now. And, uh, this is, uh, I think what you're seeing is a uh, a nothing more than what I would call a, uh, but maybe an analogy is as we grow from a small business to a larger business, as we grow from a uh, primary-only campaign to one which needs uh, every resource we can marshal to be totally that.
0: Who do you report to?
5: I report to Paul as part of the D.C. office, if you will.
1: And what is this D.C. office, uh, office going to be doing? I mean, it, we, we, you mentioned the regular meetings. What else will you be yeah, you in know, charge we'll, I,
5: of? We'll, we'll be reaching out to many of the coalition groups here in D.C. to think tanks, uh, obviously working with the RNC. Uh, we're also going to run our delegate, uh, our delegate tracking operation out of the D.C. office.
1: So so delegate tracking and, and and interest group reach out. Is it late for this? I mean, do, do you get a sense take, taking over now, obviously coming from another campaign, did... did did the Trump operation not recognize the way that this ground game is fought in terms of delegates until pretty late in the process?
5: I think that uh, what they had was a winning formula, and uh, and they were applying that winning formula when we were in the uh, in the middle of the primary only campaign, and when moving from state to state or from region to region was uh, was paramount, and then uh, and then you know got to the point in time where it was decided that. Uh, Okay, now we have to have to start thinking about the next step, and so you know that's uh, we're we are doing that transition right now, doing it quickly and doing it well. We I mean we are now up and running everywhere, and uh, uh, and you know uh, we think we're going to, uh, as I said before, March past fall 37, but have a uh, wonderful, good delegate and convention operation as well.
0: How how big is your operation going to be at the convention? How how many how many people are you going to have working that convention?
5: You know, I uh, I don't have a count on that yet. And that's uh, uh, we uh, we are finishing up our delegate allocation strategy. And Paul, uh, obviously Manafort, one of the uh, best convention minds and experts in the country, will be putting the finishing touches on the convention plan.
1: And will Trump himself be involved in the in the delegate courting process? We've seen a lot about uh what's out there including some really inflammatory things from roger stone it, w- w- it, 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 does mr trump talk to mr stone and, and will mr trump be involved in in some of the strategies for courting individual delegates
5: i uh i think mr trump will be willing to uh uh to uh do what uh, what needs to be done to make sure that we get past 1237 i don't know who he's talking to, uh, to roger or not at the uh, that's above my pay grade.
0: <laughs> well, what do you what do you think when you see something like you know? Obviously, what Rick's referring to is when uh, Roger Stone said that uh, he'd be putting out the, the the names and hotel room numbers of Trump delegates that then turn and vote for somebody else.
5: Yeah, I, 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 I don't think that was uh, I don't think that was an authorized statement from the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> I've worked with Roger since uh, since I'm an old guy. I was at the '76 convention. Uh, I've been known Rogers since uh, since that time.
0: Do you do you uh, buy the analysis that if if what? trump needs to do is he needs to get to 1237 on that first ballot and if he doesn't he is inevitably going to go lower on the second ballot i mean you 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 already see what's happened in places like south carolina where some of these delegates that are going to be committed to trump because their state voted a certain way on the first ballot uh seem likely to go elsewhere on the second ballot does he really need to win on that first ballot
5: Um, well first of all we expect to and uh second uh I think that you know our operation now is going to uh, start to uh, turn the tide in some places, and we'll see some uh, states where uh, uh, the contra is true as well.
0: Oh, oh what do you mean? So you mean states where you have Cruz delegates who will vote for you on the on the second ballot?
5: Yes, yes, I do.
0: Where do but, you see that happening?
5: Well, that would be strategy, and so we don't want to divulge that. yet. <laughs> uh, we'll celebrate d- it when it happens.
0: Uh, 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 just between us, you know,
5: <laughs> no, no,
0: no one's listening. <laughs>
5: I, I I remember when Speaker Gingrich, his mom, did that a few years <laughs> yes, ago. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs>
0: Connie Chung, we remember well.
1: <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> before we let you go, uh, is do you get a sense in talking to people that there is a willingness for the so-called Republican establishment to, to give this a shot? Because we've seen a lot of coalescing around Ted Cruz as the alternative, John Kasich still in the mix. Are we reaching a tipping point where you'll be able to say, okay, the the opposition has fallen away and, and there's enough support, not just for him to eke by at 1237, but for the Republican Party to actually embrace Donald Trump. Does that ever happen?
5: Yes, it will. And uh, I think uh, uh, even in some of the uh, uh, reports you see about these uh, delegate battles taking place inside these states, you know, you have local delegates saying, well, here's what I'm going to do in the first ballot. Here's what I'm going to do in the second ballot. But if you keep reading then they say, but whoever the nominee is, I'm going to support that person. And you know, I was on, uh, I was uh, talking with Governor uh, Tommy Thompson, uh, just for Wisconsin. And Governor Thompson was a, uh, uh, was helping uh, Senator Cruz. Uh, but Governor Thompson says that you know, uh, Mr. Trump's the nominee, he'll be uh, helping Mr. Trump go against Hillary Clinton this fall. So yeah, I, I think that, that the uh, opportunity is there. We are having a, a a a primary battle which is lasted uh, lasts longer than many expected. Uh, but we'll be able to put the party back together once we get them once we become up presumptive
0: nominee. Hey, I also need to get you to respond because this was quite a tweet, quite an extraordinary thing to me anyway, to, to, to see this uh, from Reince Priebus, you know, the RNC chairman uh, saying, nomination process known for a year and beyond. It's the responsibility of campaigns to understand it. Complaints now. Give us all a break. Uh, first of all, he's got a point, doesn't he?
5: Well, you know what, and and I think that the, our point about the process is not that we didn't know the rules; it's that uh, we uh, we like processes where the people get to speak, and sometimes uh, some of the processes set up well in advance uh, didn't allow that, and uh, so if we have any uh, frustrations, most of them surround that—not well, all of them, but most of them. Uh, there are some places where we think that uh, uh, we've got uh, some reason to think that uh, some uh, uh, some of the rules were broken, and. we're uh, if that is, in fact, the case, we will take those to the contest committee uh, in the fall should we need to, or in but, the convention should we need to.
0: But what do you make of the RNC chairman putting out something that aggressively, clearly aimed directly at the frontrunner for his party's nomination? I mean, this seemed... Oh, uh,
5: uh, you know, I don't you know was uh, aimed, at, aimed, aimed at Mr. Trump or, aimed at, uh, or who was aimed at, but, you know, he... Uh, uh, we we're uh, trying to start work closely with the RNC and want to, uh, want to move forward when we get to the convention with them.
6: And
0: how's that going? Did, did you have a conversation? Because you're the main liaison, right, between uh, the No, uh, camp- I'm,
5: I'm part, of a, part of our team, sure. And <laughs> so, uh, I, I didn't talk to Chairman Priebus. Like, uh, it, I've been in conversation with the RNC meetings coming up next week in uh, uh, in uh, Hollywood, Florida. And we will have a full operation there, and I've been uh, letting the RNC know about our plans and what we plan to do so, that, so they're aware of what we're going to look like uh, at their meeting next week.
0: All right. Well, Ed Brookover with the Donald Trump campaign. Great to talk to you, and we look forward to talking to you in the days, weeks, and and maybe months ahead.
5: There you go, guys. Thanks.
0: So, Rick, what do you what do you make of that? Uh, they, they they've uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, Brookover is the guy that is in charge of being uh, Trump's liaison to the RNC and to the. Uh, you know, I guess what we could call the Republican establishment to, to Capitol Hill.
1: My first reaction is, God bless and good luck with that. I mean, that, <laughs> that's a tough job. But, you know, he does have these pockets of support. We've seen, you know, half dozen or so members of Congress who, who have supported, have come on board for Donald Trump. We've seen more than that, I think, come out as never Trump folks. But it's not like Ted Cruz is cleaning up with Capitol Hill endorsements. I mean, this is, this. is he's not up against the guy that's kind of lined up the whole establishment in, a, in an aggressive way. And I am curious that if it does look like, you know, he's a, a first ballot victory or a likely victory for Donald Trump, what that looks like, what that coordination looks like, because there will be a pivot point. I, I think that's interesting that they're thinking this through right now and they're trying to portray this. He as Brookover says, the natural maturation, this pivot, he called it from a primary only process. That has to happen at some point. This would be the time that it's happening. And you know, John, another thing this impacts is the vice presidential search. This is the time in the process where, we start talking shortlists. We start talking the deep stakes. We start talking about uh, the, the covert visits and the vetting and the lawyers assigned to it. All of that is essentially on pause for all of the candidates
0: because you don't know what it looks like at a contested convention. Now, what, what's your, the other thing that struck me is he said that they are going after Cruz delegates to get them, in case it does go to a second ballot, to jump over and go Trump. Uh, You know, and and remember, and and actually you've got these numbers in your head because you're a savant about this stuff, but remind me how many of the delegates have actually been chosen? Oh, about about a
1: third of the delegates themselves have been chosen. That process ramps up. That's what this month of April is about: is that delegate process. So about a, choosing the actual choosing, people choosing the human being that be That's floor. right. And and as we've said, John, if you're a, if you're a Trump delegate or a Cruz delegate, does not mean you're a Trump supporter or a cruise delegate or a Cruz supporter. All you have to do is cast that one vote in most cases. And after that first ballot, about two thirds of all of the delegates are free agents they can do anything they want and by the third or by the fourth ballot more than 90% of the delegates are Utterly free agents, free to do whatever they want. So knowing who they are, who they secretly support, who they actually want, what they want from a campaign is critical to this. And yes, if Donald Trump is going to get this nomination on something other than a first ballot, he will need some Cruz delegates, some Rubio delegates, even some some of the old Ben Carson delegates. I think he's got nine. They're going to have to come on board. Otherwise, his number can't go up
0: you know this is really i mean the the big thing now coming up is the state of new york the epic contest uh so many delegates at stake the place that is donald trump's hometown uh getting ready to vote and you know he's got a huge lead we've seen several of the polls but when you really want to know what is going on in new york state rick what do you do who do you call
1: I have an idea. Is there is there a former governor that we could possibly call on? Someone who who has the state wired. And it's, if it's even better, it'd be a governor who's who's got a very well publicized habit and hobby of bird watching. Do you have anyone in mind?
0: Well, you know, I'd be a little more specific. I want I I'd want a governor who really knows the Mid Hudson uh, region. Somebody who also has experience not just as a governor but also as a mayor. Wow, I'm stumped. You know, from a place like Peekskill, I, I can't figure it out, John. Uh, governor Pataki, are you on
6: the line? Uh, I'll tell you, I'm on the line. You guys are such suck-ups. We so got <laughs> up. I should just hang up now and uh, just let people think that I know what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> you know, somebody that's, that slayed the giant Mario Cuomo. That's what we want. We want. We want. We want George Pataki. Great to have you. Thank you for joining us, it's Governor. Great Pataki. being on with you.
6: I, I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: So, so what's your sense? Uh, you 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 do know the state as as well as anybody, particularly uh, Republican primary politics in that state. Do you think that Trump? Uh, is poised to win big enough that he could actually walk away with maybe even all the delegates or almost all the delegates?
6: Well, the, the key, and, and I think John, uh, Donald Trump would drive the Republicans off a cliff if he's our nominee. So from my standpoint, the key is to keep him under 50 um, percent. I think he's going to win New York State. He will win the primary statewide statewide. But if he's under 50 percent, then there will be allocation of delegates uh, in a different way. And I think there is a my hope is that uh, between John Kasich and Ted Cruz, there are a number of people who come out so that the delegates are split significantly.
0: So you you are you've been as as strong a voice in the anti-Trump camp as anybody uh, going back to the really the, the beginning of this whole primary process during your campaign. But what what do you what are you doing personally? Have have you endorsed either Cruz or or Kasich?
6: I I have not at this point. I've sat down with both of them. I have been encouraging people to come out to vote. Um, I think a higher turnout helps the non-Cruz voter, uh, non-Trump voters. Uh, And I I may well make a decision today or tomorrow to actually endorse and support someone, but I haven't done that yet. But I am doing as much media as possible urging new york republicans to come out whether you like cruz whether you like Kasich, come out and vote your vote counts it could make a difference in a number of uh, congressional districts and in the delegates uh... statewide and we just have to have a candidate who can win the election in november
1: okay here's the part where we try to coax you into breaking some news then because you 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 ran yourself of course then you endorsed endorsed marco rubio uh... you look at the candidates that are left why not John Kasich in New York? I mean, we, well, I understand strategic voting, a, a fellow governor, someone with, with deep experience. I'd imagine his politics are a lot closer to yours than Ted Cruz. Kasich hasn't gotten a lot of of uh, of press recently. He hasn't picked up a delegate in a month. But what would stop you from being a John Kasich guy, especially in New York? I I, I,
6: liked, I like Governor Kasich. I think he's been a, a tremendous governor. I think he has... A very good message uh, bringing Americans together. And most importantly, uh, I think he would trounce Hillary Clinton in November. Uh, So certainly I'm happy if people vote for for John. Uh, Looking at the primaries, though, looking at the delegate count, uh, it's clear that Ted Cruz has had a well-organized national campaign. Uh, And obviously he's much closer to uh, Trump than, than Kasich is and has a better chance of actually getting the nomination. To me, either one uh, would have an excellent chance of beating Hillary in November. Uh, Either one would work to bring uh, not just Republicans but Americans together, and and that's what we have to do at this time of just completely unnecessary and ridiculous division in the country. Uh, So I haven't endorsed anyone, but I, I, I like John Kasich very much, and I think Ted Cruz, if he's the nominee, could also uh, win the election and bring us together.
1: So, Governor, let's let's talk New York for a moment. Uh, John's lived here. I'm a native Long Islander. You know the state better than anyone. What is the Trump appeal? Without without defending Trump in any way, we know you think Trump would be a disaster. But why is it? Is it just that he's from here? Why is it that? No, that- I
6: don't think so at all. I, I think there's a tremendous dissatisfaction, uh, not just in New York but in America, which has fueled both the Trump and the Bernie Sanders phenomena. Uh, that uh, government can't be trusted. Government doesn't act in the people's interest. It acts in its self-interest, uh, whether it's Washington or Albany. Uh, and I happen to share that sentiment. I don't think Washington is acting in the interest of the American people. It's acting in the interest of the powerful and the rich. And both Donald Trump and and, uh, uh, and Bernie Sanders are saying that. So there's enormous anger towards Washington. On um, places like Long Island in New York, there's also enormous Um, uh, anger towards our state capital, Albany, because of all the corruption that they've seen there. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of these angry voters are thinking that Donald Trump is the right vehicle to express that anger. I don't think so. I think either Ted Cruz or John Kasich understand we have to dramatically reform Washington. We have to take our government back from the interest groups and the self-congratulatory politicians and give it back to the people.
0: OK, I don't think I'm misquoting you, but at the top, you said that Trump would drive the party off a cliff, right?
6: I think that's right. I think he would get uh, crushed uh, in November. Okay. Uh, you know, all the all this expectation that somehow this anger is going to well up in November. Well, there's enormous anger towards Trump among veterans, among Latinos, among women, among all those he has insulted and and. Uh, That's not the right way to express dissatisfaction with Washington. The right way to uh, express dissatisfaction with Washington is someone who actually uh, proposes solutions. And I think both Kasich and Cruz have done that.
0: Okay, but what do you do then, Uh, Governor George Pataki, lifelong Republican? What do you do if he emerges as the Republican nominee? Do you bolt the party in November? If he, if he clinches before the convention, do you show up at the convention? What, what, what do you do?
6: You know, I, I am a Republican. Uh, I've always supported, not always, but I generally support the candidates of my party. Uh, I think the solution to that dilemma is to do everything that we can to make sure that Donald Trump is not the nominee. And I know I'm ducking the question. I had years of experience <laughs> ducking questions. I, I, you, you ducked <laughs> many of my
0: questions over the years. Uh, back in. in, I, I, in I,
6: I, I always answered yours except <laughs> this one. So my solution to that is simply to do everything in our power to make sure we nominate somebody as Republicans who can actually win the election, and that's not Donald Trump.
0: Okay, let, let, let me let me do it a little bit differently then, because this is not a crazy hypothetical. I mean, I'm talking about the guy that is the you know the the, the front runner right now. I mean, a pretty significant front runner. What do people like George Pataki do? Uh, what 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 do you know re- leaders in this party who who uh, stand, you know? Basically, in many cases, diametrically opposed to everything that Trump has stood for, whether it be, you know, on 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 you know basic policy things like like trade or immigration, but also the tone and the tenor and the, uh, you know, the the, the the image. What do you think? What what happens to uh to the people that have been the kind of leading figures of this party? Do they do they stand on the sidelines? Do we start seeing some of them lining up and saying, "I'll vote for Hillary Clinton"? What what happens?
6: You know, uh, a lot of it uh, hinges on what happens on the Democratic side. You know, everybody talks about the dilemma Republicans have, and we do. But look at the dilemma the Democrats have. They have Bernie Sanders, who's really a Marxist pretending to be a socialist and unfit to be president. And then you have Hillary Clinton, who, in my view, is has disqualified herself by the, all the lies she's told the American people. And, in, again, in my view, all the laws she's broken. And if she were elected president, I, I think uh, respect for America as a nation where the laws apply equally to everybody, uh, in my view— certainly it's going to be hurt enormously. So when you have Trump who's unqualified and Hillary who's unqualified, what do you do? I think the answer is you you make sure that everything you can do to prevent Trump from being a nominee uh, is done.
1: Finally, uh, there's talk about a contested convention and there's talk about drafting someone in. Even Paul Ryan said this week it won't be him, but it should be either someone who's running for president or someone did run for president. Any scenario where you would accept the nomination if it came to that, or do you believe it should be someone who's still in the race? Uh,
6: I, I, the odds of me being nominated are, are about as great as the odds of my walking on the moon in the next two years. So, so I appreciate the hypothetical, but I really don't think it's the case. I, I do like the idea of an open convention uh, where the delegates would be. It's not a brokered convention. Anybody who understands the Republican Party knows there's no broker. It's going to be delegates making decisions as to who they think would be the best candidate and the best president. Um, I think in all likelihood, in my view, it will be someone who was in the race uh, and probably one of the three still in the race, hopefully not Trump.
0: So do you think – I mean there's been some speculation of somebody completely on the outside. Obviously Ryan has been the focus of so much of that speculation. He seems to have been as definitive as he possibly can be that that, that, that he won't do it. But uh, Mike Pence's name has come up. Do you, do you, do you think that – could the Republicans survive – if, if after this entire primary process, 50 states, six territories vote, and then you pick somebody who didn't even run? I mean, could that, could that scenario even work?
6: Oh, sure. I, I think so. I think uh, the American people are really uh, ex- looking for a different face, uh, uh, someone who has uh, not been uh, a part of the political inside group for the last 20 years, which is why Hillary is faring so poorly and why Trump, sadly, is for- faring so well. So I think it's possible. I personally think it should be someone who has been vetted, who has been out there uh, running so that the American people have had a chance to get at least some awareness of who they are. But uh, it's not I don't think it's inconceivable that someone from outside completely, you mentioned Mike Pence, Paul Ryan, I don't know that either of them would be the ones, but it's certainly not inconceivable to me at all that someone could catch the imagination of the delegates at the convention if it's deadlocked, uh, and it could, we could come up with a very exciting candidate. You know, conventions, uh, contested conventions produced Abraham Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt, and uh, those seem to work out pretty well. So I'm not afraid of one.
0: All right, Governor Pataki, and you'll be in Cleveland. Will we see you there?
6: I will be in Cleveland.
0: All right, excellent. Great to talk to you again, sir.
6: Good talking to you. Thank you. Take care.
0: So Rick, uh, we we tried. <laughs>
6: No, think, you know, I, I, I think
0: clearly.
1: I think the idea that that you have people like Governor Pataki supporting the idea of an open convention, truly open, not just two, three candidates, but anyone can do it. That's pretty extraordinary. And I think whatever happens in New York. Uh, in, in a couple of days, uh, you know, we do expect Donald Trump to win his home state, uh, whether he hits 50% or not. We're not going to be mathematically in a different place. We're still looking at this as a very live, very real possibility. The news this week of Paul Ryan trying to take himself out of the running. I don't even know how he does that if he's an honest broker. How does he stop himself from being drafted if 1,237 delegates want to bring him into the process? That's the scenario we're talking about in a truly open convention. And again, to have major figures in the party saying not only are they okay with it, but they kind of like. The idea is that's something special.
0: So I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the record here, Rick, uh, as I've I've done from time to time. Um, With fearless
1: prediction time, yes, we should yes, have we yes. should have music for this, yes. drum rolls it, or something. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I'm gonna say that, that that a name that you're gonna hear between now and uh, the convention in July, uh, uh, in terms of that outside, completely outside the box candidate, is gonna be uh, Mike Pence, uh, governor of Indiana. I think that. Um, you know, I think that if the Republicans really get to the point where they've got to choose somebody, where where, where there's a movement, where the convention absolutely deadlocks, and it's clear that Trump is not going to have the support to get over, and it's clear that Cruz is not going to have the uh, support to go over, that it's actually easier for the party to pick somebody who didn't run than to pick somebody who ran and, in the case of John Kasich, lost 49 states, or in the case of somebody like... Uh, You know, Marco Rubio lost, um, you know, uh, 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 all but—what did he win, uh, Minnesota— um, and Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico. Or uh, you know, Scott Walker didn't even make it until the first votes. I-, I think it's actually easier to pick somebody who was outside of the process than somebody that was in there and ran and got trounced. And I think it's the opposite. I, I actually think Scott Walker. Well, yeah. I mean, no, come this is, this is, on. This is I'm, your, I'm trying to tell you something. You, I'm consi- trying to educate you. I-,
1: I don't support you when you're consistently wrong, and it's okay. You can go I- out there on the limbs if you want, but let me saw it off. I, I don't <laughs> think it's going to be Mike Pence, and I don't think it's going to be. So- I think what Paul Ryan. I didn't predict
0: it was going to be Mike Pence. You know I, think I don't I, want you to misconstrue my words. I'm saying that I, if we get to the extraordinary circumstance where, they're, where, where we get to multi-ballot, they're looking for somebody from the outside, I'm saying it's somebody really from the so outside. So you're walking
1: back your prediction, okay. That's, okay. that's alright. But, but in the meantime, uh, Scott, let's talk about Scott Walker. He, he is the one who saw the Trump train coming down the tracks, got out before he had a chance to start losing. You're gonna he, got, hear a, he, got, he
0: got out after he got run over by the Trump
1: train. No, he, it hadn't happened yet. No voting happened yet. I think you'll see another a boomlet for Scott Walker. Uh, I even think Marco Rubio more likely. I think that what Paul Ryan said, and I think it was a carefully crafted statement that it should be someone who is running or who has run. You can even open Mitt Romney up to that. And Governor Pataki's point about having been vetted Bob being Dull. out there. <laughs> yeah, George H.W. Bush still has another term left. I don't know if you know this. He could do it again. <laughs> you can I mean you can make all kinds of white knight scenarios, right? But I think you look at I, – I think the first line will be the candidates that were were in the race previously. Uh, but
0: I don't think any of that happened. I think much more likely, as Pataki said, that uh, it's one of the candidates currently in the race. And unfortunately, it looks like uh, Pataki is taking himself out. It seemed to be that way anyway. Well, well what can you do? You know, you know, Rick, only if before we left powerhouse politics we had somebody else to kind of talk to to help us uh, – you know, bring this whole thing to a close. And if
1: if that somebody had happened to be that ace radio correspondent who was an off-air reporter for us in just about every state. We threw him everywhere in, like, New Hampshire and then South Carolina and beyond. And if only that person had been out on the trail this week, Brad Milke, ABC's you had that ABC's ace correspondent. So, Brad, sitting right next to me here in the studio in New York. Brad, you were out Uh, At the Bernie rally. We haven't talked much about the Democrats today. You were out at that that extraordinary event of how many people? 27,000, according to the Sanders campaign. So, I mean, you know. So, that's only their third biggest rally. But what was the
2: crowd like, Brad? Are these actual. Democratic primary voters okay when you show up by the way to a Bernie Sanders rally and you're the 27,000 person you don't even get to see Bernie Sanders like you <laughs> these these were people blocks down the street it was tough to even tell where the rally ended this New York began just people walking down the sidewalk so I mean there
0: were, there were six million people there yeah well, I mean, exactly all over,
2: all boroughs. but so that shows you just how much of like a it was more of a, a party than anything and these were people wearing their like many faces of Bernie Sanders t-shirts and and you know wearing their face paints and stuff. I mean these people were fanatics. But like you point out, they might not have been Democratic primary voters because this is a closed primary state. You have to be a registered Democrat. And here, more than even most states, it's tough to register to be a Democrat or a Republican. I mean, if As you Donald to... Trump's kids found out. Yeah. yeah. If you want to switch parties, you had to do it six months ago. Yeah. And if you if you're a new voter, you had to do it a few weeks ago. And so there's a lot of 18 year olds that are going to be pretty, I think, disappointed <laughs> when Tuesday rolls around.
1: So Brad, uh, talk to me about the vibe at this event because you know, star studded. Maybe you know star for politics. I mean, this isn't really of celebrities yeah. we're talking about. Tim ever. Robbins, is, I yeah, guess. Susan is... Sarandon. Yeah, yeah we, we've seen we've seen them before. But but is it, it's like a it's like a rock concert, right? I mean, it's, it, there's an excitement there. There's yeah, an and it literally
2: there. had Vampire Weekend open for the guy, as if he's <laughs> the, this headline rock star himself. <laughs> Vampire Weekend is like this is the third time we've played with Bernie. <laughs>
0: played with Bernie. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, hey, it, Bernie does have a, a CD. Don't forget. I mean he did produce an album. I guess you know this... you played it for him, yes, John. That's like yes. that's killer.
1: But Brad, when I watch these events, I'm I'm also thinking, man, what Hillary wouldn't give to be that cool, to be that hip. You know, Vampire Weekend, you make fun of them, but they're they're big in the hipster crowd, right? Yes. I, I what's the Hillary equivalent? I you know,
0: Katie Perry, come on. I I guess yeah.
1: I don't it just it always seems I maybe it's just the tenor of all these events to me, John, but it always seems to me that it's just kind of not the same well and it's it's how republicans have always felt about about the celebrity vibe right
2: about all these hollywood stars and musicians endorsing all the democrats well hillary now seems like the outsider looking in wishing that she could have that hip crowd of of 20 year old diehard fanatics and and bernie's got them but but you know i mean she also has a million more voters (laughs) yeah there's that so i guess she i guess she might feel like she has the last laugh but but there is this concern especially when you talk to people at these rallies I mean, there are people there that are not. They say they will not, under any circumstance, vote for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we we talk a lot about uh, the Trump effect and, and turning off GOP voters, but there's a lot of Democrats and obviously Independents that are very turned off by her, and you see them at places like this.
0: So, the, and, the, and you you wonder, you know, how many of those people, and it's probably a very small number, but uh, you know, would like to just completely turn the tables over. Um, and if if Bernie doesn't get the nomination would go so far as to uh, to, to to support uh, Donald Trump. I mean as a total protest and it was interesting to see Trump over the past week or so he's got this riff in his speeches where he talks about how not only is he getting screwed, Trump getting screwed in terms of the delegate rules, but so is Bernie Sanders. Yeah, who, who,
2: like he sort of who he says like you know who he can respect in that regard at least right this this outsider who's coming in this insurgent and uh, and how he's getting screwed screwed over by the system um, and, and Bernie Sanders sort of talking about that as well just being like mentioning to the crowd last night that it's going to be a tough primary because of this idea that it's a closed primary that 18 year olds might have these rude awakenings on Tuesday and the, the DNC was getting a lot of booze and I talked to Bernie Sanders supporters that one of the people they hate most in the world is Debbie Wasserman Schultz who like is not a name. <laughs> That, that usually <laughs> inspires a lot of outrage among the general populace of America but but at these things wow well,
1: even the chair yeah the chairman of the Democratic National Committee so so Brad you've been a star of Snapchat in this election cycle you've been huge. Uh, a big huge big superstar on if you haven't seen the the, the the big coats that he wore in New Hampshire, they went viral yeah. at the time. And you're a doing- bunch of 16-year-olds were really into it. That's, yeah. that's my consistency. <laughs> there you go. And you're doing some really cool new social media stuff with Facebook. Tell us a little about what you're up to.
2: Well, yeah, actually. So on this week, uh, this week with George Stephanopoulos, uh, we've started doing some live streams after each episode. So whenever we have John Carl as you know highlighted member of the the Powerhouse Roundtable, table. Uh, We'll actually get together in the green room afterwards and bring you a little bit more of these roundtable talks. So, and these go live on Facebook right after the episode airs. So, right around you know ten o five. Eastern time, uh, but then it lives on Facebook throughout the day. You can check it out, and people are watching it. What's crazy is the amount of comments we get, and people yeah. asking questions and, and talking to us about you know, who they're for, who they're against, uh, asking questions about how the GOP convention is going to work. So it, it's a pretty cool medium. Well, we got lots of answers to all those
1: questions. That's the good news.
0: we <laughs> were letting you all this somebody. Does. in a hurry. No question. All right. Well, Brad, come back and join us again on Powerhouse Politics, all right? Thank you, guys. All right. Rick, I think we're, we're going to wrap it up right here. We'll be back next week when we'll know... When we will actually know who won the New York primary, not just on the Republican side, but did Bernie pull off a big upset? I'm, I'm looking forward to that. This is a, It's great to see New York relevant in the primary process. Let's play some Billy Joel to, to get us out of the show. <laughs> All right, excellent. It comes
6: down to reality. It's fine with me because I bet it's lying.
2: In a New York state of mind